Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. In this week's episode, entitled Senior Pizza, summer is here, and I'm starting my new job at a pizzeria on Cape Cod. The problem is, the place is mafia-owned, and the boss has taken a liking to me. With new responsibilities come new ways to disappoint the boss, and things start to get very dicey. Senior Pizza First summer. I'm 18 and waiting at one of a number of wooden picnic tables inside the dining patio at Senior Pizza on Cape Cod. The big sign on top of the one-story building reads, Nothing beats a Senior Pizza. There are two rows of open suburban-style garage doors all pulled up so that the room gets a nice breeze. As I wait, up pulls a Lincoln Continental convertible with the top down, the same make and model that JFK was assassinated in, and out climbs Louis Canova. Kennedy's Continental was black, Louis is white. He's wearing a light silk summer suit, crisply creased pants, buckling perfectly where they meet his Italian designer shoes. He's clean-shaven with rose-colored aviator glasses and a gold Tuscan pepper on a gold chain. The one surprise is his well-trimmed but very fuzzy afro. I soon learn that he's from the southern coast of Sicily. As he athletically steps over the picnic table bench, he gives me a firm handshake and then asks me a bunch of questions, the kind you might get from your long-lost dad. I actually get the strange feeling that he might see me as the son he never had. In our conversation, I learn that he only had daughters with his wife, Angie. I naively challenge him at one point about the measly $3.15 an hour he offers not the best interview technique. He responds, but you're only going to be paid as a busboy and a dishwasher. Also, I keep 10% of everyone's wages until the end of the summer when I double it as a bonus, provided they stick around to the end of Labor Day weekend. I start the next day, and it's a bitch of a job, but I'm young and eager to prove myself. The dishes just keep coming, and my sink is never empty, plus I have to constantly bus as well. After a few days, though, Something strange happens. Louis drives up with the top down and pops into the kitchen. He inquires how I'm doing and then puts on an apron, saying, maybe your talents are going to waste at the sink. Come over here and let me teach you a few things about the pizza business. Everyone who comes and goes through the kitchen after that looks totally puzzled. When I'm in the back, I hear somebody whisper, what the hell is Louis doing here? I have never, ever seen him in an apron. After adjusting his apron strings, Louis says, First, we're going to teach you how to mix dough. Sitting at the back of the kitchen is a Hobart mixer, a huge industrial bakery mixing machine standing six feet tall. He gets one of the other busboys to help him lift a giant stainless steel mixing bowl onto the base of the mixer. It can hold up to 250 pounds of dough. Then he fits the upper shaft of the machine with what looks like a trident fork except the prongs are rounded, a little thinner than baseball bats, and twisted in a partial spiral. The busboy then helps him pour in a number of 25-pound bags of white flour and some other ingredients, including a few pounds of yeast. He begins, 
This machine is a beast and can easily take off your arm. Always keep both the breaker switch and the on-off switch switched off. Put on your bowl or whatever other attachments you may be using in place, then check the speed. There are 10 speeds, and you almost never use number 10, which is the fastest. Next, you put in your ingredients, yell clear, and press the start button. The machine is set at 1, and the tongs start to move slowly. Within 10 minutes, though, it's starting to look like dough. Finally, the three of us haul the bowl to a nearby table, heave it up, and tip out a giant blob of dough. Louis suggests, go ahead, each of you give it a good solid punch. It's surprisingly satisfying to bury my fist in. He continues, kind of like giving a big fatso a punch in the stomach. After the ball of dough is chopped into pizza-sized portions, these are balled up, placed in a rack of bakery trays, and left to rise. The final stage is when each one is hand-kneaded into a pizza pie in a tin dish and again left to rise. Louis tells me afterwards, if you really master this stuff, I'll put you on the ovens as a pizza chef. I naively believe him. I really have no idea what I did to deserve all this special treatment from Louis. Maybe he's gay looking for a younger man, or maybe he does see me as the son he's never had. After he leaves, the mandator comes over with some unsolicited advice. Be careful of Louis, Greg. He's connected. Meaning what, I ask. He lowers his voice and says, Mafia. Ah, good to know, I answer. Callow youth that I am, I'm not the least bit concerned. Within a few days, I'm working in front of the four big Blodgett pizza ovens, each one of which can hold up to 16 pies. When it's busy, that's 64 pies attended to by two pizza chefs. Here's what it's like. You're constantly in motion, preparing pies, grabbing your long-handled wooden paddle, pulling open the oven doors, hitting a blast of searing hot air in the face, placing one pie while pulling another. Then you repeat this routine over and over, maybe two or three hundred times. You sweat, drink a gallon of water, nibble. When you actually stop for a breath, your shift is almost over. You also lose weight, because you just nibble, so you learn to force-feed yourself while you work. And for all this, you make just under $5 an hour, less Louis' 10%. It wasn't long before I encountered the dark side of Louis, the supposed mafiosi. One of my favorite waitresses is Rita Rizzo, and one evening as I leave the building, I find Rita standing in the parking lot in tears. When I ask what's wrong, she says, Fucking Louis just fired me. And I ask why, and she wipes her eyes and shakily takes a breath. A couple of days ago, he asked me out, saying, Rita, I think you're a terrific girl. It would be great if you could join me at the opera in Boston. And if you have any reservations, just tell me, and I'll never ask again. I thanked him for the invite, but said I didn't think it was a good idea. Then just now, the manager told me I was fired, gave me my check, but when asked, said he didn't know why, just that Louis told him to do it. The next time I see Louis, I ask straight out, Why did you let Rita go? He responds, Not your business, young man. Just keep your mind on the ovens. Louis is scarce for a week, except when he meets with half a dozen guys at one of the picnic tables who all look like they're from Central Casting working on a mob movie. Then the next day, 
one of the waitresses comes over to Louis and me and says, you gotta see this. Senior Pizza has an all-you-can-eat ice cream sundae bar, but it's not really all-you-can-eat. You're given a red plastic bowl with a scoop of whatever ice cream you choose. Then you pile on all the ingredients you want, but you can't come back for seconds. At the bar stands a very obese young man. He has a ladle in his hand and keeps pouring more and more hot fudge onto his sundae, which is overflowing onto and down the front of the counter, and then creating a sizable chocolate puddle on the floor. He's stuck in some kind of fugue state, mesmerized by the sight of all this hot fudge. The waitress says, let's call the police. And Louis responds, no, let me take care of this. I follow as he approaches the man, and then he says in a friendly tone, come on now, put down the ladle and we'll get you cleaned up. As they walk off together toward the men's room, Louis takes his hand, and as he gently guides him along, I hear him ask, do you have someone you can call to come and pick you up? After Louis cleans him up and his sister picks him up, I ask Louis, why didn't you just call the cops? He responds, more questions, hey, Lefebvre? Well, who knows what would happen to him if the cops took him away. Besides, the less I have to do with the local police, the better. Louis is certainly one weird mafiosi, but at my age, I really know little about the world and even less about the mob world. For the next few weeks, at slow times, I continue my lessons with Louis and then start splitting my time between the ovens and food prep. Today's job is to strain a bunch of whole tomatoes, which come in one-gallon cans. I pour eight cans into the big strainer, fitted onto the Hobart mixer. I'm feeling pretty cocky because I've mastered the machine, and when all the cans are emptied into the screen, I yell clear and hit the button. However, I forgot to check the speed. The machine is set at 10, and immediately, tomato sauce is whirled around the kitchen, forming a red band of sauce and tomato chunks everywhere. I get it in my eyes, so I can't turn off the machine until all the sauce has been flung out. Everyone working in the kitchen has their own red band on one side of their white uniform, and I'm completely covered. At this point, in walks Louis. He sees what's happened and yells, Fatuto idiota! Then he grabs a pizza knife and in a fury chases me out the back door of the restaurant, brandishing the knife. He's fast, but I'm faster, and I finally lose him in the pine woods behind Senor Pizza. I circle back to the tourist cottage, where I live a block away, and for the first time since I started my job, I feel real fear. Fear of Louis. Could he actually totally lose it and stab me to death? I get a cold chill, thinking that that's a real possibility. After I wash up and change my clothes, I get in bed, tossing and turning all night with visions of blood and violence. In the morning, though, there's a light knock at the door. When I answer it, Louis is standing there. Greg, I forgive you. You forgive me? What the fuck? Would you really have stabbed me over some tomato sauce? You know I wouldn't have. I just lost my temper, but I would never hurt you. Then he tucks a hundred-dollar bill into my pajama breast pocket. Come in late if you want. And he walks away. I should have quit right then and there, but of course I didn't. There was just one more dark event this summer. On the Saturday night of Labor Day weekend, Louis hosts a nice party after hours with all kinds of seafood, a big pot of steamed clams, along with champagne. Monday night at closing time, Louis is nowhere to be seen, and the manager sheepishly tells us that during the evening, someone has stolen most of the cash in the register 
and our bonuses are being withheld. He almost has a revolution on his hands. Everyone finally leaves in disgust after making all kinds of threats. That was the end of my first summer at Senior Pizza. Second Summer I'm back at Senior Pizza, undeterred. Even though the job is a real bitch, all winter I look forward to getting out of my hometown and back to the place to continue my lessons on how to run an Italian restaurant. I'm obviously in total denial about who Louis really is. Not much has changed, except there's a whole crop of lovely new waitresses whom I watched Louis interview at one of the picnic tables. Then, one by one, they disappear. I'm still splitting my time between food prep and the ovens. Food prep is much more satisfying and less exhausting. For one of my breaks, I create my own pizza, clam, onion, and Canadian bacon. It's a hit with Louis and some of the staff, so the next time he prints up new menus, there's my creation listed among all the other corny pizza names. The Monsieur Lefebvre. None of the customers can pronounce either word, and the waitresses tease me with the best of their mispronunciations. At one point, Louis decides to install one of those see-through mirrors between his office and the kitchen, the kind they have in interview rooms at police stations. This way, he can see what we're doing when he's in his office. Everyone hates it. Big Brother is watching and all. So I foolishly decide to do something about it. The wall to his office with the mirror is 10 feet tall and the ceiling is 12 feet high. So after hours, I screw a plexiglass mirror to the ceiling so we all know when he's in his office. I instruct the staff not to obviously look up at the mirror, which, of course, everyone does. Within minutes of his entering his office from the outside door, he sees people looking up and discovers the mirror. He angrily comes out, points to the ceiling, and demands, Who did this? I take credit, and he asks why. I say, You spy on us? We spy on you. Lots of the kitchen staff are smirking. Lefebvre, you really piss me off. He slams his door hard as he re-enters his office. Interestingly, though, he never takes down the mirror. One busy Saturday night, we run out of meatballs, which is totally my fault. I call in the staff and tell everyone not to take any meatball orders, finishing my instructions with, that means no orders for spaghetti and meatballs, meatball pizza, or meatball subs. Then Louis shows up. He's behind me as I'm working the pizza counter, standing at attention, his hands folded behind his back, happily rising up and down on his feet as he surveys the capacity crowd, all happily dining in his successful eating establishment, which is running like a well-oiled machine. When an order comes in for six meatball subs, I leave it on the order board and work around it, pulling out pizzas and making other types of subs. But Louis is sharp. He watches the slip, then grabs it from the order board and says, Come on, Lefebvre, put out this sub-order. I know what's coming. He grabs the ladle and finds no meatballs in the tomato sauce fat as he heads for the walk-in freezer to discover the empty plastic barrel that should be filled with meatballs. I take off my apron and head out the back door. It's an exact repeat performance of last summer's pizza knife episode. And as I'm running from him, I think, Damn, I've got to quit this job. The next morning is deja vu all over again. The knock at the door, he forgives me, I accuse him, and I get another $100 bill. Except this time, he informs me that the police were called by someone, that he had to talk his way out of a nasty situation, 
and demands that I not be late for work. As I finger the $100 bill, I say to myself, Greg, quit while you're ahead. The rest of my second summer is uneventful, although Louis's lessons have pretty much ended. Then on Labor Day weekend, there is yet another deja vu moment. A great Saturday night party after hours, then Monday night, no Louis, and the new manager reports that money has been stolen from the cash register and there will be no bonuses. There are more threats, accusations, and police reports, but Louis gets away with it once again. Third Summer By the following spring, I've completely made up my mind never to return to Senior Pizza. Then I get a call from Louis. He wants to visit me in my hometown, and I tell him, no way. He then shows up on my front doorstep and invites me to lunch. Like a fool, I agree to join him, and he works that old Sicilian magic on me once again. He promises, hand on a Bible which he brings, to mend his ways, No more fired waitresses, no more chasing me with a pizza knife, and no more canceled bonuses. Then he offers me the managership of the restaurant, and naively, I'm in. I report for duty as manager in the late spring, but this time things go to hell much more quickly. It begins one morning when I'm starting a 250-pound batch of dough. I put in all the secret ingredients, including the yeast, and I'm not paying close attention. Then there's a fracas in the dining room, some drunk customers berating a waitress, and I intervene and almost get clobbered. Coming back into the kitchen, I'm completely shaken and take out some one-pound blocks of yeast, put the yeast into the mix, and start the Hobart. When I go to throw out the yeast wrappers and find the ones from before, I realize that there is now twice as much yeast as called for. What a colossal mistake, I groan. I get two busboys, We dig out a very large burlap bag that's about the size of a refrigerator. The three of us wrestle the dough ball into the bag, and I tell the guys to drag it out behind the restaurant and not to tie it off. Then I go back to work on a new batch of dough. About an hour later, one of the waitresses comes over to me. You won't believe what's going on behind the restaurant. When I go to the back door, there's already a crowd of staff marveling at what they see. The busboys had tied off the bag, And as the dough expanded, like a Macy's Day parade balloon, it swells up to almost the height of a person, and hundreds of snowball-sized fingers of dough are protruding out through the stretched netting of the burlap, above which dozens of seagulls are flapping their wings while grabbing dough with their open beaks. Louis pulls up in front of the restaurant, finds the dining area completely devoid of staff, and hears the commotion in the backyard. As he opens the back door to this carnival act, I know what's coming. It sounds like high comedy, but I've yet to test whether in a fit of rage he would actually stab me, so I lay it out before he comes back with the pizza knife. In the morning, there's no knock at my door and no $100 bill. Louis is finally done with me, and I breathe a sigh of relief. He's smarter than I am in terminating our relationship. I ask myself, what was I thinking, sticking it out at this insane job for three summers? And that was the last time I ever saw Louis. Or so I thought. In the 15 years after leaving Senior Pizza, I've had a number of jobs, 
and learned a good deal about the workaday world and the world in general. It's been a hardening experience with many painful lessons and defeats. I've had to resign myself to the fact that the world is just not a fair place. At one point in time, when I was musing about all this, I was driving on the Massachusetts Turnpike. In front of me was an old Lincoln Continental that was rusted out and burning oil badly, and I realized that Louis was in front of me. As I passed him, I blew my horn and waved. He responded by giving me the finger. As we approached the only open toll booth at the New York end of the turnpike, I was ahead of him, and I told the toll booth operator that I wanted to pay the toll of the guy behind me as well as my own, and asked him to pass on a note, which I scrawled on a piece of paper. Hi, Louis. It's Greg Lefebvre. Let's have coffee at the next rest stop. At that point, Louis laid on the horn because we were taking so long. After I left the toll plaza, I drove slowly, and eventually he pulled up next to me, gesturing with a thumbs up this time, and we both exited at the next rest stop. He gave me a big hug when I got out of my car. He looked like a shadow of his former self, haggard, unshaven, wearing a rumpled old suit that smelled like tobacco and sweat. His news over coffee wasn't good either. Angie had left him, he was estranged from both his daughters, and he'd lost whatever restaurants he still owned in various lawsuits. When we said goodbye, I remember I felt profoundly depressed. As I drove through the green New England countryside, I thought that even though he was a real bastard in many ways, to almost everybody he encountered. He had a kind and gentle side, and he was almost always good to me. Louis Canova, a real-life enigma. Mobster with a heart of gold, or nice guy who couldn't help but cheat and steal. Not a sociopath, but maybe a schizophrenic. He was also definitely living proof that karma exists. I wondered to myself if I truly felt sorry for him, or maybe I just felt bad about my lost youth back in the good old days when I was a naive and eager young pizza chef. Compulsive Storyteller is written by me, Greg Lefebvre, and co-produced with Peter Kakoma, who has also composed this week's music and made our theme song. If you enjoyed this week's episode, we'd love your help sharing the show. Please subscribe to The Compulsive Storyteller for free on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And if you would leave a review, that would be fantastic. Follow the show on Instagram at The Compulsive Storyteller, and check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story. <laughs>